Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. Amen. We're going to go in our Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter number 17. Man, if God would lay it on your family's heart to partner with our family, then uh, Pastor Carson has, uh, has some uh, partner forms that are laid here on the altar, if you would get one of those. Of course, COVID, you might have noticed that we were here for an extended period of time. With COVID, we were unable to travel for four months. And so that's really uh, set us behind, but we believe that God is working through it. And that we're going to be there in Washington, D.C. soon. Luke chapter number 17. And Parker is going to be baptized tonight. He wants everybody to know that he's getting baptized in Jesus' name. He said, Dad, make sure you tell everybody. (laughs) Luke chapter 17, verse 11. He wanted to be the first person in D.C. to be baptized. And uh, last Sunday night at the conclusion of service, he came to me and said, Dad... I feel like Jesus is speaking to me and telling me I need to be baptized now, that I don't need to wait. And I believe today is the day of salvation. Amen. So we celebrate with him. Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse number 11, familiar portion of Scripture for many. It says, It came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men, somebody say ten men, that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was cleansed, healed, turned back, and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? I want to draw your attention specifically to that second question that Jesus asked here in the Gospel of Luke question that goes unanswered in the narrative of Scripture. But perhaps you could answer it this evening. I want to ask you, where are the nine? Before you're seated, would you just lift up your hands to heaven one more time and ask God that His powerful Word would begin to prick every heart. Lord, we thank You for Your presence that we feel here in this house tonight. We pray that Your Word that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, that it would begin to work in this place, that your spirit would begin to move in this house, that you would do what only you can do, God. We are believing for and expecting the miraculous here in this house. We don't want to just go through the motions tonight, God, but let your word change us, impact us, touch us tonight, we pray. Praise God. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. And I will remain standing. 
So continue feeling sorry for me. The Bible tells us that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Interestingly, this oftentimes detail-laden book is silent as to his purpose in proceeding to Jerusalem. But we do know that the village that comes into focus through the pen of the physician Luke here in our text tonight, that this village was not Jesus' intended destination. Luke says he was simply passing through. Yet at the beckon of ten men, we find Jesus' journey slowed to a stop. Ten men that Luke describes as being lepers. They were leper, they were lepers. But not only does he tell us their condition, but he tells us their position. As he says, they were afar off. They were afar off from Jesus. You and I, while we are thankful that we do not know and we have not shared in the experience that they dealt with and lived with and being diagnosed with and suffering from permanent social distancing that resulted from the priests looking at them, calling them unclean, diagnosing them with leprosy. While we don't know what they must have felt like in living with that terrible disease, I would say to each of us tonight that we all know what they felt like as they found themselves afar off from Jesus. All of us under the sound of my voice this evening, we know what it feels like to be afar off from Him. It was their condition, leprosy, that put distance between them and Jesus. The result of their condition, they were separated not just from Jesus, but from everyone, their families, their homes, their communities. And they were forced to live alone, or as these men did, forced to live in a community of people just like them. Their condition made them afar off. And certainly if there is anything in our lives that will put distance between us and Jesus. It is that condition just like leprosy that separates us from Him and that is the condition of sin. But unlike those lepers, it's not something we woke up one morning and experience. Oh no, we were born in sin, dealing with sin. We were all born sinners, separated from God as it were. And when you allow sin into your life and when you live a life surrendered to sin, you will find yourself afar off from Jesus. Far from His love and His presence and His hope and His peace. When you live in sin, it will seem as though His love is nowhere to be found. That His peace is far away from your reach. But i got to tell you on this Sunday night, sin is not the only thing that puts distance between us and God. As a matter of fact, The Gospels tell us of two other individuals who found themselves where these lepers found themselves afar off from Jesus. The next example that the Gospels give us is of a man who, when we are introduced to him, he calls himself legion as the demons inside of him testify, we are many. 
He was a man who the Bible tells us was tormented by spirits. He lived in the caves, cutting himself. No man could bind him. But if I could say it this way tonight, this was a man who was under spiritual attack. And truly, even those of us who have, it's been a long time since we live lives separated from God because of sin. If we are not careful, every one of us will experience what this man experienced in that you will find yourself pulled away from God's presence as it were because of spiritual attack. When the enemy attacks your home, when the enemy attacks your mind, when fear and doubt begin to come against you in your spirit, as it were, you will come to church and while others are feeling God's presence, you will begin to look around and you would say, I don't feel what they feel. I'm not sensing what they sense. I don't feel the joy that they feel. I don't feel the peace that they feel. And I tell you on this Sunday night, you are experiencing spiritual attack and that spiritual attack will separate you as it were from God's presence, his power, his love, his peace, and his joy. Finally, in the Gospels, we're told of a man through the parable of Jesus and the tax collector. Jesus says of this man that he was afar off. But if I could summarize this man's position this way, I would say that he was afar off because of his own decisions. He did things to people. He made decisions that weren't right. And and he too found himself separated from God. He was afar off. We, all of us, can find ourselves afar off from Jesus. But I got to tell you tonight that each each one of these stories testify and, and there are numerous testimonies across this place that would echo the sentiment that when they found themselves afar off, Jesus would not leave them afar off. When those lepers were separated from Jesus because of their condition, their cry out to him began to bring him near. When that man who was possessed by devils found himself afar off from Jesus, their, his worship began to bring him near to Jesus. And when that tax collector found himself afar off, the Bible says he began to cry out for mercy and Jesus came near. Can I just preach to somebody on this Sunday night and tell you It is not the will of God that you find yourself afar off from Him, afar off from His peace, afar off from His joy unspeakable. But it is the will of God before we leave here on this Sunday night that everybody would feel Him near. It's the will of God that you feel his touch, that you feel his peace, that his joy begin to settle on your heart and on your spirit. But you've got to begin to lift up your voice to him. You've got to begin to say that name that is above every name. Pastor Carson said it tonight. He is as close as the mention of his name. I've come to preach against the lie of the enemy tonight that says God is separated from you, that your past separates you from him, that your mistake separates you from him. It is the will of God and the desire of God that you find him near. He said he is not far, the writer said, from any one of us. Amen. God wants to be near to you. 
God wants to draw near. He see, he had a place to get to. He was headed somewhere else altogether. But his desire to meet somebody that wants to experience him will stop him in his tracks. Hear me on this Sunday night. God will meet with you tonight. God will touch you with his love tonight. God will allow you to experience his peace and his joy tonight. But you've got to lift up your voice to him. You've got to begin to cry out to him. You've got to begin to worship him. I wish somebody would lift up your hands in this house even right now. Come on, I feel the presence of the Lord here. God, we need your touch in this place. Come by here, Lord. Touch us in this house. Draw near to us, we pray. Hallelujah. David said, in my distress, I cried unto the Lord. And he heard me. Jesus heard those men. They were afar off, and yet they were not too far for him to hear their call. We later learn, of course, that this hodgepodge group was made up of both Jews and at least one Samaritan. These were men who were raised to hate one another. Men who at some point would have viewed the other as less than themselves. Yet now, by the time we find them in the narrative of Scripture, they are joined together. Brought together by this common pain and this common misery that erased all prior feelings and views of superiority. By the time we see these men in the text, they are together with voices raised, crying out to Jesus. Their close proximity was a result of their common condition. They were brought together by this common experience, this common pain. Yet every day before this day, their proximity had not changed anything. We don't know how long they had lived together among one another, but we know that every day they were the same way as they were before. Because merely coming together has no power. People gather together for all kinds of reasons, all kinds of purposes. And yet they leave those meetings, those mass gatherings the same way that they came. But on this day, when we find them in our text, they are not just together in close proximity, Pastor Carson. On this day, they were joined together with common purpose. And that was to get the attention of Jesus. Can I tell you tonight that regardless of your place of birth or your financial position, regardless of your skin color or your past, we are all brought together tonight. And we are in close proximity by this reality that we are all the same, you and I, that without God's love and His mercy, we are sinners and we are hopeless. But if we are not careful, we would be content simply coming together. We would be content just gathering together and singing our songs together. And yet we would walk out of this place the same way that we came. But if we, you and I, would be uh, more than just together in proximity. If we would just realize that it's not enough that we come together. That it's not enough that we meet together or that we sing together. But if we would begin to say, you and I, that we're here for one purpose and one purpose alone. We're here to get the attention of Jesus. 
We're here to experience his power. We're here to experience his touch. We've got needs of healing in this place. We have people struggling with sin in this place. And their only hope is that Jesus would meet us here. Something powerful happened. Why? Because they came together, not just in proximity, but they came together in unity. I heard one preacher say it this way, unity is always the prelude to a Pentecost. Amen. They, their hearts and their minds were together with one purpose. They were there to get the attention of Jesus. Hear me, saying of God, it is not enough that we come together in one location. I thank God that we are here together. I thank God for the assembly that we have created, and we need it. we got to embrace it. We can't forsake it. But if all we do is meet together and we leave unchanged, then we are wasting our time. But if you and I would come in this place, not just in this moment, but in every moment and we would say Lord uh, more important than who's singing who's preaching who's doing this or who's doing that we've got to experience you we've got to feel your touch one more time we've got to have you come by here and touch us something powerful would happen understand tonight there has perhaps never been a day where the spirit of the age has been any more divisive than in this day. Politics divide us like they never have before. Identity politics divide us like never before. Thoughts about viruses and masks and all of those things divide us like never before. And we better wake up to the devices of the enemy in this last day because the enemy knows the power of a united people and he knows the weakness that's caused by division. And while we may not be able to stop what happens outside of the church, we better make sure that we protect what happens inside of the church. And that the politics that divide us outside of the church don't find their way inside the church. And the thoughts about viruses that we post about on Facebook outside of the church don't find their way in our mindset inside of the church. Because more important than how you vote or what you think, we come together in need of God's touch. We need a revival. We need God's power and His Spirit. So you better make sure that you guard the unity in the house. Uh, that you push aside every voice uh, that would try to divide in the house. Uh, because we've got to be together. You're my brother and you're my sister. And we need his touch. I wish you'd grab somebody's hand beside you if it's appropriate and you're comfortable with it. And begin to lift up your voice right now. And we would begin to pray for unity. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost here in this place right now, God. Oh, we need your touch tonight. <laughs> we need to experience your power right now. God, we pray against everything that would try to divide, everything that would try to destroy, every attitude and every mindset that would try to stop the revival that you have in this city, the move that you have for our homes. Come on, you need to lift up your voice and pray a powerful prayer right now. Oh, we need you, Jesus. Come on, why don't you say that name, Jesus, for a moment. God, come by here. Let your spirit do a work that only you can do in this house right now. 
Come on, if you have a need in your, in your life, in your family, in your home right now, why don't you just lift up your hand right now? I want you to look around and see every hand that's lifted. We're going to pray a unified prayer that God would give a revival in this city, that God would begin to do miracles in our homes. Come on, somebody, begin to pray right now. God, we ask you to hear our cry right now, God. We pray for there to be a great revival in this city and in this church. We pray for every home, every family, every marriage, every young person, every ministry, God. Lord, you see those that are under spiritual attack right now, those that have been separated because of sin. God, I pray that your spirit would begin to move into every life, into every home, into every situation. Hallelujah. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Come on, why don't we pray for revival in the city right now for just a moment, God. God, come by this place. Come by this city, God. Do the work here. If you're going to do it anywhere, God, do it here. Do it now. Do it among us, we pray. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, why don't you clap your hands to the Lord and thank God for his presence that's here right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, whatever you have need of, you can have it tonight. You can get your breakthrough tonight. You can get your healing touch tonight. God can fill you with his spirit tonight. Hallelujah. Praise God. You can be seated. Jesus responds to the cry of these lepers with a simple command. Go. Show yourself to the priest. And just with a casual cursory reading of this text, perhaps we could miss the significance of what just transpired. We know through the study of Scripture that after a leper was diagnosed with that terrible disease, that there was only one reason for him to ever make his way back to a priest. While Leviticus 13 lays out the law of leprosy, the commands, the restrictions, all that he would have to live with and abide by. Some over 1,400 years before this encounter in our text, God, as he speaks to Moses, he begins to reveal to him what to write in Leviticus 14, the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. God said to Moses, you tell him when he's been cleansed to go and show himself to a priest. Yet we know from the story of Scripture, that not one Jew ever was able to experience that promise. No one ever heard, go and show yourself to the priest. Only one was ever healed of leprosy in the Old Testament, and he was not a Jewish man. It was Naaman. Yet as these men heard this promise, as Jesus issued this command, they understood it to be a promise. That something was going to happen. That had never happened before. You can imagine as they must have went through that initial meeting with the priest where he gave them the pamphlet dealing with leprosy. That there must have been a small little section about what happens when you're cleansed. But I'm sure that any reasonable priest would have said, don't worry about reading that section. 
Yet on this day, some over 1,400 years since that promise was deposited into holy writ. Jesus looks at these men and says, go, show yourselves to the priest. So they understood what you may not understand as you read this casually. that Jesus had just given them a promise of cleansing. Yet, we know that when Jesus gave them this promise, they were still sick. When Jesus breathed this word of promise into their lives, they still suffered from that same disease. So they were forced with a decision that you and I are all forced, faced with, rather. What do you do when you have a promise, but you haven't seen it come to pass yet? What do you do when you've believed, but you haven't seen? When, you have, when you've heard His word, but you haven't seen His hand? When you've prayed and nothing's come to pass? Thankfully, God gave them this word, go and show yourself to the priest. It was not an occasion for a cliffhanger. There's no to be continued or tune in next week to find out what happens. Oh no. The Bible simply says, when they heard the word, they went. They got a promise and they acted on the promise. They heard God's word and they obeyed his word. Now that's a novel idea, isn't it? They didn't wait until they saw God doing it. They started acting on the promise as though it had already happened. Hear me, saint of God. If you wait to see results before you're willing to take a step of faith, you will never move from your present affliction, condition, or position. But there is something powerful that's unlocked in your future when you decide to have faith in your present. When you decide to act in faith before you feel like it. When you decide to worship before you've seen it come to pass. Hear me, somebody. When you decide to take a step of faith before it feels like it's right. The Bible says they heard the word and they went. Hear me. I believe that it's possible that some of us have not seen God's miraculous working in our lives. Not because God hasn't spoken a promise, but because we haven't acted on that promise yet. Or because we're waiting until we begin to feel something. Or until we begin to see God do something before we act out in faith but could it be that God is wanting to wait for you to begin to take a step before he begins to do the work hear me now you've got to be willing to pray like God has already done it you've got to be willing to worship like it's already come to pass Come on, I feel something in the Holy Ghost right now. Some of you, God has spoken a promise into your life and you begin to doubt whether or not God can do it. And I've come to preach to you that if God has proclaimed it, you can believe it and you can begin to act on it. The word of God is yay and amen. So it's time for somebody to begin walking by faith. As they went, they were cleansed. As they put one foot in front of another, God began to do a work. And you know, we're not told what step it was. Lest we get confused. You can be seated. Lest we get confused and begin to think that the power is in the step. That, well, when I took this step, that's when God did it. When I prayed this prayer, that's when God did it. We're not told when it was. 
We're just told that it was. That it was as they went. As they obeyed the word of God. They were cleansed. Now hear me. I believe that God can do things in an instant. I believe God can heal in an instant. Work in an instant. The New Testament is filled with awesome words. Like immediately and straightway. Straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. I like that. I want that. But sometimes. The work that God wants to do in our lives. In our churches. In our families. They happen. Not in a moment. They happen in the movement. They happen in a process and not in a place. It's as though God was saying to these lepers, in order for this to come to pass, you've got to be willing to be a part of the process. It's called walking by faith, saying of God, because sometimes the only way you're going to move forward is by faith. But as you put one foot in front of another, something begins to work. As you go without sight, not seeing how it's going to work out, not understanding how God's going to do it, not knowing how he's going to save them, not fully comprehending how everything's going to come together, but you just put one foot in front of another, and God begins doing a work. Something begins to happen through the process of us walking in obedience to the word of God as they went they were cleansed hear me saint of God I want to encourage somebody that some of the greatest works of God that he wants to do in your life are going to be happen as you go through the process of daily obedience to the word of God. So I want to preach a determination in some spirit on this Sunday night. You've got to make up in your mind. I'm going to keep trusting God even when I can't track God. I'm going to keep believing in God even when I can't see him working in my life. What are you doing coming to church uh, when your family's as far away as they've ever been? I'm just putting one foot in front of another and I'm just trusting in him. What are you doing praying when nothing has come to pass yet? I'm putting one foot in front of another. What are you doing worshiping when you're still sick in your body? I'm just putting one foot in front of another. What are you doing still believing that God can use you in ministry? I'm putting one foot Come on, somebody, you've got to get some fresh determination in your spirit. God is working for me. God is moving in my family. God is moving in my church. Some of you, you begin to doubt the promises of God. And you need to walk out of this place with fresh faith and fresh steps. I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep trusting. As they went. They were cleansed. Stand with me in this house. Not because I'm quite done, but because I need to be. <laughs> Something happens at this point in the story. As these men are walking, witnessing, experiencing the power of God. Suddenly this narrative that is focused on ten men narrows to only one. While ten have been the focus of the story, suddenly nine fade into the distance out of view. Nine are never to be written about again. While only one who, like the others, heard the promise of Jesus and obeyed. Who, like the others, had lived a life separated from family and avoided by strangers. Suddenly this one man takes a detour off of the road in the distance that he had been on and makes his way to the feet of Jesus. 
Bible says he saw that he was healed. He was aware of what was happening. You know, sometimes our problem isn't that God isn't working. It's just that we're not looking in the right places. We're so focused on what God hasn't done yet or how God hasn't moved yet that we don't see what God has already done. Yet this man, he saw something happening. And he says, I've got to go back. He makes his way to the feet of Jesus. He begins to worship him. He says that he's a Samaritan, which is interesting. Being a Samaritan, he had no priest to show himself to. So I can imagine as Jesus spoke the word, excited that Jesus saw them. This man's faith, no doubt, begun to rise, began to rise. Until Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. That man must have wondered, what about me? Maybe Jesus didn't see me. Maybe the promise isn't for me. Maybe God can't do it for me. The reality is most of us have found ourselves in that place too. We hear the priest's word and we say, well, that's for everybody but me. God can love, forgive, save everybody but me. And yet, while doubt must have been present, that doubt didn't stop him from stepping. You know, your doubt can't stop God if you're willing to step. He just said, okay, well, I don't know what I'll do once I get there, but I'm going to just believe. I'm just going to give it a shot. And perhaps his understanding that he was undeserving was what made him so aware. And yet as Jesus looks at this man worshiping him, the only question, the Bible actually says Jesus answering him said, Jesus' response to this man's worship was a question. Where are the nine? He asked this question of a man who couldn't answer. This man had left the nine sometime in the distance. The question goes unanswered, actually. Where are the nine? And I've heard this preached a lot of ways. But I don't believe that those nine were unthankful. I'm pretty sure they didn't walk out of church that day saying, that's eh, all right. You know, that's pretty good. I might go back someday. I'm sure that as they witnessed the healing happening, they must have been thankful. They were blessed just like that man. But the problem, saying of God, is they were blessed but too busy. They were surrounded by the blessing of God. And yet they had home on their mind. They had things that they had missed out on, places that they needed to go on their mind. They were hurrying to get back to the busyness of life, anxious to get back to the monotony of the things they left behind. And while this man could not answer the question, I'm afraid that if you and I were to be honest tonight, some of us could. The only way you could answer the question, where are the nine, is if you're with them. If you, like them, 
have been blessed, have been touched, have been changed. And yet you've allowed the busyness of life, the busyness of career and, and circumstances and things to steal your attention away. If perhaps your relationship with Jesus is one that you're only going to get to when you need something of Him. See, this man already got what he needed, but he said, that's not enough. I've got to make my way back to the presence of Jesus. It wasn't enough. You see, these men had lived a life afar off from Jesus. And now that they were allowed to be near Him, they chose to walk back away. I ask you tonight to examine what God has done for you. How God has been so good to us. How God has kept us. Some of us, there were things that we thought were going to take us out. And we're still here. Still in the presence of God. Put back together. Our marriages were falling apart. And God saved them and put them back together. And we were sick in our body. And God touched us. We were battling things in our minds. And yet God gave us victory and deliverance. But if we are not careful... We'll get caught up in life and the busyness and everything going on. And we'll find ourselves walking with the nine. So I've come to just issue this reminder to the church today. That we've got to make up in our minds, our spirits. That we will never be able to answer the question where the nine are. Because we refuse to be with them. We refuse to get busy, too busy to worship, too busy to consider what God has done, too distracted by what hasn't happened yet or what we've got to get done, that we can't just make our way back to the presence of Jesus one more time and say, God, I don't need anything. I just want to say thank you. Come on all over this house. Would you begin to lift up your hands? I want you to consider what God has done in your life. How God has blessed you. How God has kept you. How God saved you. Oh, and the only response that is appropriate is that we would begin to cry out, Thank you, Jesus. I've got to worship you. I've got to thank you. Oh, when I think of the goodness of Jesus, come on, you ought to think about how God has kept you. How God provided for you when you didn't deserve it. How God saved you though you didn't deserve it. How God loved you although you didn't deserve it. And I wish somebody would begin to be fueled by thanksgiving. And would begin to step out of where you are and come around this altar and say, God, don't let me get afar off. Don't let me be content with a one-time touch. But I want to draw near to you even when I don't need anything from you. I want to worship you. Oh, come on, the presence of the Lord's in this place. If you find yourself afar off today, He's here. He's near. If sin has separated you from Him, He's here and He's near. If spiritual attack has separated you from Him, He's here. He's near. But if you're just, if you're blessed and you're kept, He's still here. Will you be near? Oh, thank you, Jesus.